Today's episode is brought to you by Slayhouse Publishing, recorded at Wayne Howard Studios. So contrary to what you might be thinking right now, our subject today is not Kanye West. It is Ray Bradbury. We're going to start talking about Ray same. Bradbury. He's the, the Kanye same. West. Yeah, He's the Kanye West. Of <laughs> same writer. thing. Pioneer, <laughs> <laughs> really. really. Oh. <laughs> so Ray Bradbury has such a wide library of things that he's written that we cannot, in good conscience, talk about everything that Ray Bradbury has done. So we're going to focus ourselves or focus our, our discussion today on one of his short stories out of his book, The Illustrated Man. Um, before we jump into that, I want to give a little background about Ray Bradbury. He was born August 22nd, 1920, and he died June 5th, 2012. Yep. That was really, that was really actually recent. really recent. Yeah. yeah. He, he's, it's he was 91. Been, I had 91. no idea. Like he was, yeah. I remember it when that happened. It, like I remember being like, oh, and it was the beginning of the end of people just like starting to die. Remember? Uh, that, yeah, like yeah. stretch yeah. of death right, that yeah. came <laughs> after the apocalypse Everyone of 2012. Knows. Yeah. Well. That's what kicked it <laughs> off, actually. Stretch of death. It is. Yeah. <laughs> Culminated with with Betty White. Yep. And oh, mm. oh, oh, poor one out. I forgot. Right you just reminded me. Poor I'm one sorry. Out. I'm poor sorry. one out. Bring him so, down the room. Yeah. Uh, Bradbury was a, a prolific writer of sci-fi and horror. He often found these two genres blended well together, I feel like. he um, His idea of the future was not utopian, I don't think. His idea nope. in a lot of his stories nope. uh, was very anti-utopian, and technology was not the savior. Right. That that it's presented at, and that that made him kind of yeah, it's very unique. contrarian for a, a sci-fi writer, right? Because especially think, at that time, because so many time, of them yeah. were yeah. utopians, yeah. right? Yes, yes exactly. they all said we could be better people than we are, and I feel like yeah. he was consistently like, "Nope, we'll be the same people, just yeah. in right. different exactly. contexts." Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. When it comes to his speculative fiction, I I yeah. think you're right. He he very much projects right a, a humanity that never matures, never really evolves beyond who we are now. Which is interesting because some of his other, you know, peers that he's writing alongside uh, felt very differently. Yeah. Arthur C. Clarke Believed is like in the us. complete opposite yep. end of that spectrum. Yeah. Keep going. All right. Cool. I think, uh, sorry, I was going to say one, no. uh, one yeah, foot or the other foot. He's got a short story. It's in Illustrated Man. That one's kind of optimistic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he wasn't without optimism in some of his <clears throat> stuff, but I feel like, you know, there was a lot to say. Um a lot, a lot of cautionary tales yes. with that too. So, um, one of the things, one of the thing, uh, something I found very interesting was that he he was influenced by H.G. Wells and Jules Verne, but he was also in, uh, uh, influenced by poets and by just a wide variety sure. of literary uh, references, such as Alexander Pope and John Donne. And this got me thinking when you and I, Trevor, we both read um, something wicked this way comes, right? And we talked about the difficulty of the prose how mm -hmm. it's not something that easily lets you into the story you have to work through it and it had a very lyrical kind of sound to it rhythm to it to the i mean prose. even a lot of his prose really leans very heavily on kind of sensory information mm -hmm. yeah. which i think is also very poetic yeah. by its nature right? i can see i can see how how poetry influenced him when i think about things like yeah, that yeah absolutely, absolutely. So what we're going to talk about today, though, is the short story, The Velt, which came, am, am I saying that right? The Velt? The Velt. Yep. Velt. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, which came out of his, his novel story collection. It's not really a story collection. Yeah. I think it's really interesting 
what Bradbury does, because a lot of his books are actually not really necessarily novels. I mean, something wicked yeah. this way comes is a novel. Yeah. Uh, Fahrenheit 451 is definitely a novel. Right. But you look at like the Martian Chronicles, all right. of those stories, all of those little vignettes that make up the story arc of that novel were actually published serially in in other places and they right. were actually written over a much longer period of time so a lot of the stories in the illustrated man even were published prior in in like magazines somewhere yep. including the belt including, including the belt, the belt. yeah um and then were republished and and kind of like reconstituted through this framing device yeah, yes. yeah. of the that's illustrated what makes these, that's what makes yeah. these collections different than like your standard short story yeah. collection yeah. from an author is that these are framed where they're all taking part in the same universe almost they right. are and they're, they're tied back i mean same thing to something wicked this way comes right because the illustrated yeah. man is a character in that yes in that. but yes. i think it's just the through the through line it's the the lens that lets us see these short stories as a compilation instead of being disparate yeah, gotcha. I mean, he yeah. really, I, I think he gives these stories um, a, a greater sense of cohesion mm -hmm. through yeah. that, right? Because because they're all told on the same canvas and we're given the Literally same framing canvas. device. Yes, right. Yeah. The, the human body is a canvas. <laughs> I think it, it elevates a lot of these stories and, and forces us as readers, I think, to try to figure out the through line. What is the connective tissue from all of these different disparate stories that give us a much broader perspective of what his philosophy was. I mean, kind of like you were, you were suggesting. Yeah. I, I, I'm talking about a deep dive here. I mean, I'm seeing not only the connective tissue of this and of his works, but immediately my mind goes to like Clive Barker and his books of blood and how this influenced, I can see the influence of the illustrated man mm -hmm. on Barker's work as well too. Yeah. Well, and I, I think, mean, I think so often as writers, there are a lot of writers who, who will become like, seized by an idea right and and it, it shows up repeatedly you know kind of a motif in mm -hmm. a lot of their writing as they explore issues philosophical issues that are yeah. really important to them right and, and i think bradbury is one of those who continues to to come back to these same ideas these same issues pertaining to human life and human existence so who wants to tell what the like give a brief summary of what the the belt's about Great question. Yeah. I, I just read it on my phone. Okay. There you go. There you go. So you want me to read it? Sure. <laughs> I'm just playing. If you know, I would rather somebody just... I yeah. Mean, yeah. I will, yeah. It's sure? A, go for it. Yeah. It's, it's a story about um, the this family that lives in what's effectively a smart home mm -hmm. that takes good care of them. And the nursery is this very fantastical room that has these crystalline walls that project any image and it's very sensory, um, like sensory intensive. Uh, and these parents have realized that there's something wrong with their their nursery. Every time they walk in there, it's an African veldt and, and it is just this big like expanse of plain and there are these lions um and so they're trying to figure out what's going on on with their children because the velt i mean the uh, the nursery just reflects what their kids internal dialogue looks like what their imagination sees and so so the parents are trying to figure that out and and as that goes you know the story kind of just my, takes fir off from my first thought when i read this was like that Star Trek: The Next Generation, like the the what the holodeck or whatever. Yeah, the holodeck. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's very much the the. the it's the virtual room. reality. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah the, very, the room is yeah. virtual reality. It's mm -hmm. a holodeck. Yeah. Um, I don't. I, I think that 
it's not for him like you know the hard light or whatever it is that the holodeck is but yeah it's, i was also really reminded of the the disney film uh uh, what was it? Was it Smart House? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Smart House. Yeah. It, it, like very. It was like a Disney Channel original. Wasn't it was. It? Yeah, yeah. I and remember it, that. And yeah. it has a what's her name? Like the actual like bona fide actress is the house. What's oh, her name? Oh, the lady who was from uh, uh, Anna, Sons of Anarchist and the wife from uh, from uh, Married with Children. Married with Children. Right. Uh huh. And oh, she's oh. Leela on Futurama. Yes. Yeah. 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 I'm yeah. drawing a total blank the, on her the name. The most Kate famous something? person. Katie Seagal. Katie Seagal. There it is. Yes. 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 Yeah. I was about to say Peg Bundy, but that doesn't. But yes. Yeah. That when the house turns all needy and jealous, right? Like, but does, like I no, mean, like, but, don't but leave me. Locks them in. I mean, yeah, it's, it's not, not different. Not totally different. That cracks totally me different. up. That cracks me up. By the way, the Disney Channel original. Yeah, and we're obviously citing the source where Disney yeah. Channel got this. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid, I was like, I want all that shit. I want. Well, I mean, Take orange care juice of me, on please. a conveyor belt. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. yeah. That, that is the idea. I just wanted the Pee Wee Herman right? house, where like the the the, <laughs> the 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 what do you even call it? The little Mm-mm. machines. It's or made whatever. of nightmares. Oh, dude! Absolutely Lawrence, not. Lawrence Fishburne comes over with a cowboy outfit on. No way. You know what, Lawrence That's Fishburne what with a cowboy hat? Nightmares are made of. <laughs> Cherry! It's too right. creepy. Raining this back in. Yeah, um, but yeah, the thought of virtual reality Good in, luck the 19, on that, Trevor. in the 1950s, uh, it's interesting that anybody thought about virtual reality back then. Well, I think this is one of Bradbury's kind Strengths. of mainstay um, preoccupations. In a lot of his work, he's, he's constantly looking at like the relationship between humankind and technology. Right. And, and I think that in a way, you know, we talk about him being influenced by Jules Verne or, or H.G. Wells. I mean, H.G. Wells covered a lot of this idea of like the impact of technology on human beings and, and how um, this technology can kind of shape human futures. He right. tackled that in uh, the time machine really mm-hmm. well, mm-hmm. right? Where in we, we have, human beings who become so reliant on technology to do all of the things they need for them that they kind of very complacently become the uh, food of the the Morlocks that mm-hmm. like, you know, like live underground and, sure. you know, creep I mean, up and eat the Eloy, right? We're, right. By we're no there. Means, we're by no means heading in that direction. Yeah, this is, no, we're there. Yeah. Well, <laughs> okay, we're there. Let's, oh let's be real. H.G. Wells was absolutely like a, a straight up uh, uh, communist, right? Like, um, no, like, are you like, saying that's right? Bradbury's message too in this this story? Then I do. I think yeah. that that what Bradbury does is he looks at a lot of technology and he says that um, you know he was very, I think, preoccupied with the space that technology continued to occupy in our lives. Yeah, and yeah. this was 1950. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, you read something like Fahrenheit 451, that is constantly misremembered. That book yep. um, is not about the censorship of, of, of books, books. Or, or media at all. It's about the loss of intellectual curiosity. It's about right. the loss of, of um, I, I think, critical thinking that is done when we allow media to govern our tastes yeah. when it, we allow media to yeah. invade our lives so much that we are more preoccupied yeah so when we, when we hand over yeah. that agency right like yeah. we're yes. like you know what this is fine you can tell me what it is that i like and then 
that's easy exactly. enough. And I'll like it. And I'll like it. Yeah. And I mean, I, to be fair, that's, I mean, and that's, that'll be my whole personality. And, 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 and some of it is, it's a respecting, right? Like you, 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 if you respect the media, then you respect what the media has to offer you. Or like, if you respect your friend's older brother, then you only listen to what he listens to. Right. Like that's right. how yeah. you decide your taste. That's right. So do you guys yeah. think this is kind of a call back then to, I mean, given the time that this was written, we know that like television is really becoming a part of people's lives and and the the whole argument of television's going to dumb the kids down and and don't let television kind of replace you as the babysitting but i don't necessarily know that Dude. it's about it dumbing down that it's, wasn't right? the it's, a, it's a trade-off it's, no 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 no, no. You lose but, a few but, things and you gain a few things that's just mm-hmm. what no that's just one of the arguments that people used to make about television that's right. going to make you dumber um but but the the bigger argument that to me kind of speaks more to the story is that idea of don't let television replace you know, you're parenting with these these kids, and it's almost like what happens in this book, in, in this way, story. Right. But I also think that there's a, kind of a subtext here through the entire story, uh, where he's really like just talking about the over reliance on on um, like the efficiency of living or or having yeah. something do the laborious things for you. Mm-hmm. Because right. I think he's he's kind of circling around and, and saying that. Um, in human life, human labor contributes a lot to like our lives and how we, we conceive of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. So, yes. so the danger of, of wish fulfillment through like a house that can do everything is, is an over-reliance on the creature comforts instead of understanding, you know, kind of the value of, of, of you doing things for yourself. But right. I think, I think it's a, so we talk about how I think what, what, Bradbury to me understands is like the necessity of human relationships. And we talked about this, like what Mm -hmm. his futures always look like a reflection of what we are now because we don't really change. And I think um, part of what the story is exploring is not just that, but like where technology has stepped in and isolated people even in their relationships. So you have a Mm -hmm. husband and a wife and children, and that is like your, your core nuclear family and that should be like the core relationship, but the technology has now isolated all four of them. So it's right. that yeah. it's that each one of us. At least the parents from the kids. At least the parents from the kids. But yeah. I would say the parents from each other too, because yeah. at some point they're kind of like, oh, I mean, you're kind of unhappy too. And like, well, <laughs> there's this this conversation I think that the man has with his wife, right, where where they talk about like maybe we should just turn the the, turn the off. house off, yeah. right? Maybe we need to turn this off. And he's like. You mean that, like, you're going to darn my socks for me? Uh-huh. Like, you're going to cook my food? I love how you say darn, because that, that word stuck out to me, too, when I read it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I yeah. was like, darn my socks. Like, darn my socks. <laughs> Has I anyone asked... had their socks darned yeah. in, like, a, a century? No. I asked my <laughs> wife if she would darn my socks the other day. because What I is that? that I'm going to play it's, stupid. It's re- repairing the Fixed socks them? with, like, holes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's like oh. selling. Yeah, it didn't. It, it, it is from a time when we did not have fast fashion, where you couldn't just go buy more socks. See, that's right. what For I less do. Effort so when people say darn it, them. that's what they mean. <laughs> <laughs> Fix my Sell socks. it back for me? Yeah. yeah. But he does, he does. He's, are you going to cook my eggs, I think, is the example yeah, that's yeah. left? Like, and she's like, yes. Yes, yeah. I will, with like yeah. tears in her eyes. They talk to the kids, too, about like, you know, uh, uh, turning off the house. And, and one of the kids is like, Am I gonna have to tie, tie my, my shoes? shoes? <laughs> and I think it, it's really interesting. Yeah, you little shit. <laughs> <laughs> so that is the, that's the dad's attitude. But it's funny because I immediately thought to myself, I was like, "There's no way this kid even knows how to tie shoes." Because like, oh that was, like that was my first thought. Was like, I'm trying to teach a four year old right now how to tie shoes, and I guarantee these parents did not teach this boy. I he has too. never. It, 
learned. I, I was just no. unsettled because the kids kept calling him. Like when they'd respond to him, they'd be like, "Yes, mother. Yes, father." And I'm like, uh, "You're you're creepy little kids." It's sarcasm. Yeah. Yeah, I know it's yeah. yeah oh, they're being sarcastic. Yeah. I think so. I mean, yeah. I I think he didn't have a lot of dialogue tags I mean, with that. A lot of it was just straight dialogue. So yeah. you have to read into it. In a way, I do think kids, it was it was sarcasm. But it was kind of are the villains of the story. Okay, oh, I they're think horrible. no, yeah. the kids. So there is. Ob- I mean, okay, the kids are named Peter and Wendy, right? This is obviously an allusion to Peter Pan. Yeah. But Peter Pan is also very misremembered in my opinion because uh-huh. Peter Pan is like this fun fantasy where like kids go off to a land without adults which obviously is what the Velt's playing at here but Peter Pan understands that kids are like malicious self-centered yeah. little a-holes who don't realize wasn't there also a fairy violence. orgy in that right yeah but, but like the point the point is like violence has no we actually talked about <laughs> no, I'm uh, serious there was no uh, but we yeah. actually talked about this earlier where um, we were talking about how like like as a kid, you probably wished your parents died at some point. Like you were mad and you were like, I just wish you would die. Right. And like you genuinely meant it, but did not understand fully what it is that you were saying. And children are that way. And I think that that, the Peter and Wendy allusion to me is very much in line with what. I mean, they're they're like totally, uh, forgive me, but they're totally ruled by id, right? Yeah. It's it's just like, they're pure impulse. Right. Malicious impulse. Peter Pan, who again, gets misremembered as this like fun kind of fantastical thing. And I'm like, he almost lets her brother die. Like in the early scene, George falls asleep or something. And he's he's going to let him fall. Like the lost boys who wanted to leave, didn't he kill them? They killed him. Yeah. Yeah. They, 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 uh, I mean, it's a very dark. Is it, cull them. They call them yeah, is the word them. that's used. Yeah, call. Call. Yeah. 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 yeah no, I know, but like, but like, <laughs> yeah. uh, no, yeah, like cattle. Right. Like they. Right. Yeah. You're right. Ugh. But yeah. yeah. Dark, so, dark so shit. yeah, Peter Pan was dark to begin with. So anyway, I, that was the thing that stuck out on this reading to me was like, obviously, it's that the darkness Peter within Wendy. children. Well, and it's obvious that Ray Bradbury is taking that darker understanding of Peter Pan, and this is not the, you know, as he's applying it to his story. Yes. Yeah, this yeah. is not the Disney version of Peter yeah, Pan. Yeah, thank so. you, Disney, for misrepresenting so, yet another story. <laughs> right. so, yeah. I mean, maybe it's just the Marxist in me who keeps like, coming back. I mean, I keep coming back to, to stories like this um, and, and other stories by Bradbury where he's, I mean, it seems he is really, really preoccupied with, like, what is lost when we allow something to do things for us, when we continue to alienate ourselves from, you know, the fruits of our labors. Mm-hmm. I think that the, the in a way, like, this is kind of like the total um like like effect of late capitalism here Mm -hmm. right where where it's like we we can't conceive of our lives without the the things the machines the whatever you know doing it for us Mm -hmm. And, and what happens to our humanity our sense of humanity when we are so divorced from the consequences you know of our actions that very technology eats us yeah, spoiler alert. <laughs> exactly. Um, but, but, well, so, so, so to the note we talked Thank about. Thank you for that, too, because yeah. I think we've got a habit of spoiling, like. It's, it's fine. You know, they actually have done studies on that, and spoiler alerts actually make people more invested in, like, having having read spoilers makes you more invested in the first viewing because oh, you're yeah. looking for those spoiler clues. Right. So I'm one of those. It becomes a second, it, it's like the second viewing where you're excited I'm about I'm renaming things. the yeah, podcast yeah. Spoiler Alert. Mm-hmm. We've. Accidentally, yeah. <laughs> that'd be easier to say to my Alexa. Discovered why? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I thought I was weird. I thought I was the only person. House publishing like presents lit bits podcast. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> accidentally figured out why our our listener numbers keep going up every week. We spoil everything. They've, they've prepared the statement is why they go up. It's because they've been practicing having to say oh, yeah, it to themselves. Too, yeah. it's just lean um, into it. Just, just lean into the spoilers. Uh, but yeah, so spoiler alert on the technology. I think we talked about the Disney version, and I think the Disney Smart House has a similar point where there is the mm-hmm. house doesn't want to die. Yeah. Right. Right. And that's the proposition that the father has given the house and kind of with some idiocy to its face. He's like, I'm yeah. turning this thing off, <laughs> like in right. it. Yeah. Well, I, I well think, even the psychologist comes back and says, you know, the, okay, that something that's alive doesn't want, want to, to die. die. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah You're about I, to say that guy? No, like, I was just saying, I mean, just as a psychologist, he's like, <laughs> oh, oh God, this is dude. very dark. He looks at the room, he's like, Mm. Y'all know this is fucked up, right? right? Like, and he's then like, he's like, "Your you guys, kids need therapy." Yes, like, every years day, and years therapy. every day, and you two have done a terrible job. I'll be back in an That's hour. Right. That's right. He's, he's, he's like, they, they need a fucking year. <laughs> every day, every day, which seems a little prescriptive. He's like, "I'm gonna make some bank." Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think so. You talked about the the lyricism of of Bradbury, and I think he does do a really wonderful job with the velt itself and like the mm-hmm. the big thing that i took away is that the velt is yellow right and i feel like that's a cautionary like you're supposed to feel that dry caution yeah, yeah. that like it's like you're it's a warning sign the whole way everything's yellow like yep. the grass is yellow right. and the lions are yellow and their eyes are even yellow like everything is yellow um but I feel like the, the jaundice lions, right? But that's where the, the <laughs> lyricism comes in. Like you're supposed to be like, oh no, this yeah. is a bad idea. Yeah. It, it is very evocative. Mm-hmm. Right? I, I think his fiction is really good at uh, trying to circle around this sensory information mm-hmm. and then just kind of, you know, like feel it. Yeah, punch it with us. And what do we call or, that, or, kids? When the outside scene reflects the interior. Hmm. The objective correlation. Yeah, yeah, I feel like we've heard this correlative. in the podcast yeah. a couple yeah. of times before. <laughs> Thank you. This is season it's two. Still, we're not supposed to be doing this anymore. Oh, yeah. We're not supposed to talk about the objective. It's kind of hard to true. get away from, though. I mean, we keep coming back to it. I learned what that was it's last important. month, and now it I is. want to talk about it. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just say it to people. Like, it doesn't even make sense when I say it. That's the objective correlative. We're grocery shopping. That doesn't make sense. Well, this outside reflects. Flex my inside, so, yeah. so I'm hungry and there's food here. That's exactly what I said to the loan officer when I went to the bank to get the uh, money for the uh, the swim spa. I'm like, this is my objective correlative. I want to feel like this on the outside and inside. <laughs> He's like, what? I thought you were going to go with something about these these parents' outsides or, or insides being on the outside. Oh, the yeah, yeah. Mm. Another spoiler. It's Hashtag. Pretty, pretty grim. I mean, it's a, it's a very short story, so I think we can spoil it. Spoil it. It's kind of yeah. hard to talk yeah. about this they with get, any substance. Okay, it came out 70 years ago. Like, yeah. at some point, you're like, it's fair. <laughs> you no, can we, spoil it. We did that with Shirley Jackson. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. did this with Shirley like, Jackson, too. I think there's a, there's a threshold where, like, it's <laughs> yeah. no longer a spoiler. If we yeah, can talk right. about the sixth sense, we can talk about the belt. Yes. Like, <laughs> we did that with the lottery, no, which is, like, required reading in high school. Like, spoiler alert for this story that everyone's fucking great. 
Oh, yeah, oh my goodness. Okay. Um, uh, <laughs> I'm off. I'm off. Sorry. I mean, does that kind of cover it? I, I think it does. Have all I, the beats for I think so. yeah. well, Bradbury? Yeah, yeah, that's the whole thing. That's it. That's all there was to Bradbury. I mean, right yeah. There. No, I, I will say, so like as a, as a parent, so, so you mentioned that this is what we were going to discuss, and I was like, mm. oh, I literally think about that story all the time uh, because I am a parent of small children right now, um, right. and I like genuinely think about the Velt, like, day to day and I feel like it's really interesting because again we talk about this being 70 years old like it's a very far reaching understanding of like the life that we do currently live and Mm -hmm. like the whole you see this a lot with parents not realizing what their kids are watching like even kids content but like if you're not watching it with them then you don't really know what it is and I think that that's exactly what's happened here is that they checked this box of well my kid's in fairyland or my kid's gone off to wonderland or my kid's doing whatever they're fine yeah um and then discovering that like well I mean they are fine but there is a there's a moral responsibility I think to like make your people your your children into functional adult people you can't mm. take your eyes off yeah you can't like wash your hands of that responsibility like you're and not to no not to say that I kids are like carpets and should be stepped on sometimes which right. I thought was a very oh, bold was, yeah, was, well, it was also wow. like a big dick move for a guy who has oh, done sure. nothing with his kids like I feel <laughs> like he coming like oh I'm gonna step on these children like okay buddy <laughs> where have you been I mean so I'm really glad this. that you're chiming in on this because I, I did want to ask you and Curtis as parents I mean you're not parents together but you're you each have your own kids <laughs> we do we have how this resonated with you like, nobody knew that <laughs> but I'm also <laughs> our listeners may not have known yeah, that that's fair yeah. that's fair uh, that's another podcast there, I think we've covered yeah. all of our cliches Curtis and I do not share children just for clarification but we both have children we both have children there are offspring yeah. <laughs> so what, what is the uh, what is the question? I don't remember children? anymore. So what is what is the take? I think yeah, your yeah, so yeah. your question is what is the take? Yeah, uh, your take on this. Um, okay, so you know uh, YouTube Kids, for instance, just got me thinking about this. Uh-huh. YouTube Kids is uh, like yeah, four kids, but YouTube has admitted we don't know how to finagle the algorithm to where it keeps malicious content out, right? Mm-hmm. And so my kids just aren't allowed on YouTube. YouTube, sure. is, I've delineated it. YouTube is for grownups. Uh, Nick. Junior is for kids. Like those sure. are the hard delineations. But sure. then, but then she goes and hangs out with her cousin, and right. he's allowed to watch YouTube Kids. Right. So I'm out in the hot tub with the grownups, and uh, the kids are inside, and I'm sitting there biting my nails the whole time. Like, what is that little shit showing my daughter? Right. And um, <laughs> well, and also like, I'm not. I mean, I'm not going to speak to your daughter's cousin. I'm sure he's a wonderful little boy. Um, yeah. But <laughs> like, there is. I think there's a real fear too. Like as so for me, I grew up as a child, like when chat room sort of hit, like I was probably 10, 11, 12 when chat rooming became yeah. a thing. Yeah. Um, and so like, same here, didn't like as an adult, I now have a totally different, like, I'm like, oh, very dangerous. Right. Very and, dangerous. and so like, I feel like I've come around almost full circle around exactly that. But you do run into the issue of um, it's not just your 
control. Like you can you can say we can't watch YouTube here, or like we don't want even parents who are real anti Disney film or whatever. Anti if you're anti anything, and yeah. you're like you're not allowed to watch that. Well, but then they go to school, and at school they do like movie day, and right. it's like they're watching some movie that you didn't clear, which understandably because also if you've ever hung out with four year olds especially 20 of them at some point you're like we're putting on a movie because i need all of you guys to just yeah. do something Chill else out. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah and so yeah. like like uh, there's a there's n- very little control over the content your children encounter even when you try to put controls in place yeah yeah um and i think so to that point especially because the addictive nature of social media, addictive nature of, mm. of entertainment now. Like, entertainment mm-hmm. is built to be addictive. Yeah. Um, you play to that, like, kids are all id. And so if you right. give them something that is designed to attract them, designed to make them want to come back to it, they're not going to say no. And I think that's exactly what's happened in the Velt. They've yep. built this right. world... Right. And it is theirs. And yeah. this nursery has loved them and coddled them and rocked them as children. And that's where their relationship lies, is with the nursery. Right. They've got no outside context. They for, don't care for, for their parents. Yeah. And I love the moment. I've got the page open because I've been thinking about it. It stuck out in my head when I read this, and I just wanted to like keep coming back to it. But um, they mentioned throughout the story like the different screams they sometimes hear, and they have to mm-hmm. rush to the, the thing. Yeah. And the last scene where we have the parents. Their screams. Yeah, it it says, it says. Horrifying. Mr. and Mrs. Hadley screamed, and suddenly they realized why those other screams had sounded familiar. Uh Uh-huh. And it's, we go to this idea of Peter Pan, of of like the, you know, the kids and they're playing in their id. and, And, I mean, this is not something that's happening in this one house. This is something he's saying is happening everywhere. I think. Oh, is that? Think, I took see, it I to read mean it as if the, the see, kids have been fantasizing about, about their parents' about death. their parents being murdered so? for, for, for a yeah, long time. That's how I time. took well, it. Yeah, maybe. I, I took it to mean that, but yeah. I also because I, there's there's all of those uh, like allusions to the the parents are never quite sh- able to see what it is that the lions are eating and mm-hmm. and oh, yeah, Bradbury continues yeah. to see that through and I think that th- th- that's, that's just I the, just thought there was like a whole communal takeover of like the AI because no, he finds like, his he finds his his chewed wallet. up wallet in there and oh, his yeah, wife's yeah. scarf that's is true, in there yeah yeah I appreciated too uh that Bradbury takes this and he does this pretty consistently where he takes sci-fi into almost like magic realism like it yeah. like it kind of like mm. slow slides into that because like i like with the wallet and the the right. like and, well with the lions i'm sorry let me go back to the original like <laughs> like how like how something that is supposed to be a figment of their children's imagination mm-hmm. has now breached a crystalline wall and right. become yeah. a tangible thing so there's like almost this like mythological like tulpa aspect here that the kids have focused on it so hard that it's become reality yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah i think the poltergeist needs to be brought up a little bit too yeah. because th- she gets sucked into the tv you know mm-hmm. and this movie's made in the 80s mm-hmm. by a generation of people that lived without television right and yeah. so they're really fresh on the fears of of what TV media do. television is doing and so um yeah but yeah mm. when it when the two worlds connect with one another mm-hmm. that's like that's like where the horror yeah. really kicks into high well gear. he plays with that idea early on in the story too because they the parents hear something and they run to the room and then the lions start chasing after them and they panic and they you know mm-hmm. they run out of the room and then the wife is like crying the door and yeah and the the door like 
thuds and right. and they and the husband just starts laughing and he's like, oh, it's just AI. It's just you know, there's no way they could be coming after us. It's just right. a VR thing. It, yeah, yeah, it's it, it's supposed to be a, a kind of virtual reality experience. Right. Right. They're not supposed to be able to escape the walls, which yeah. I think is it's it tells a story of of like a gra- like a boundary has been crossed. Yes. Yeah. Right. And you can't uncross that boundary. And it's the whole, Thinned. And it's right. entirely supernatural. Exactly. There's no way that that could materialize. So, well, like, I, I mean, by the rules of what he kind of tells us is this room, it should not be possible. Right. Yeah. 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 Shouldn't. The, the, the fear it's is that screen. it has become possible. Right. Yeah. It should not be possible that these kids uh, have designs to murder their parents, and yet they've already done it. They've already made over the and over and over. Right. To the point of, of obsession. <laughs> of, yes. Right. They, yeah. have, they have been obsessed. It's kind of a Twilight Zone feel about it. Definitely it? a Twilight Zone well, feel. And yeah. I, I'm about to get real philosophical, so I apologize. But like, um, <laughs> so, so uh, th- there's a degree we talk. You hear it a lot, right? People being like, manifest your dream reality, like mm. manifest your destiny. <laughs> and I've been kind of on this rabbit hole of like how older cultures believed in different things and how you like see similarities across cultures um, that have been sort of distilled into this fantasy notion now that we're like, oh, you know, like there weren't dragons. They just, you know, these six disparate cultures all had something that they thought was a dragon, whatever. Right. Whatever. <laughs> um, but like I <laughs> so I, I obviously I write. Uh, like fantasy and it's got like magic realism elements and and one of the things that I've come across is people discussing like shape-shifting and and cultures that have shape-shifter elements Mm -hmm. and the kind of logic behind it is more along the lines of like say you're like you're in a room and the radio is playing this is how I had it explained to me the radio is playing and it's playing a country station and like as far as you are concerned that country station is the only station that exists at the moment that it's playing. Right. But like all of the radio waves for all of those stations are in the room with you. You're just not tuned into them. Right. Yeah. And mm. I think that that's kind of the idea of these like different superstitions is that like all of these realities kind of exist and we're just tuned into the one that we think is true based on how we've been conditioned. And so I think the Velt does that. The Velt crosses that line to say that like, Here's the rules that you were given, but those may not be real rules. Right. Some kind of quantum leap happened in the in reality. That, yeah. yeah. That, that, that it was. It's not a fantasy veld. It is a tie to an actual veld. There are real yeah. lions somewhere, or like I don't know. Your like children that. are the lions. Who knows? Right. Like I. Anyway. Yeah. I, no. I. I think there, you're onto something there. I. 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 I look at this story and I. I think a lot about like just the the psychology of children and mm-hmm. and, and maybe what They're Bradbury incredible. is trying to say about like how how our perceptions are 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 shaped by what we we kind of put into our lives you know mm-hmm. I, I think he's he's really making an argument here for like the nurture element of that that great debate of like is it nature versus nurture right yeah. and, and yeah. he's kind of suggesting like what what you become, what you get, the world around you is is of eventually um, lions. You know, kind of. <laughs> yeah. Is it nature versus nurture? No, it's I, lions. I think it's, it's, lions. it's shaped Absolutely. by it's shaped by by what you kind of focus on. It's shaped by like the media that you ingest, and and yes. then and then what you 
what you fixate on right and so he he seems to be saying like like we've I don't know. We've have we crossed over this, this this barrier yet? Have we crossed this boundary where there is you know kind of this point of no return? Have we fixated so much on whether it be the the technical yeah. you know, technological aspects or you know the the ways in which these new technologies can can kind of like let us play out these fantasies? Yes. Have we crossed over this 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 ridge where we we no longer recognize ourselves? And, you know, is is that not the fear? I mean, the fear is, is uh, not being able to recognize the people that are around us or, the, or the, the, the people that we've raised, you know, through this inundation, if yeah. you will, of wish fulfillment. Like slow and steady, too. I think, mm-hmm. like, we're on the slow drip now, and we see it with the Internet of Things and stuff like that. And I'm going to – I sound like a real conspiracy theorist. This is not actually, like, <laughs> the way I live my life. I obviously have an Alexa. I say, Alexa, place, Playhouse Publishing presents Lit Bits Podcast. Um, so uh, – but um, I think – so I think fixation is an interesting word uh, that, that you've brought up, and I think the way it ties to technology is interesting because I think – so and uh, part of what I think is also illustrated here is this – isolation that all of the characters feel based on their like technology making Mm -hmm. life easier for them Mm. and especially coming out of a pandemic i know we all understand the concept of isolation but i think isolation also breeds fixation Mm. and like Mm -hmm. even now yeah you can be everyone is accessible in a way that's like like (laughs) but but like the whole world is accessible to you in a way that you can become hyper fixated on like anything you choose right um or anyone and so like you like i think it's like it's easier to have i had this uh discussion with somebody the other day because like i said the prequel i'm working on has an affair in it and it's like one of those things where it's like it's easier to have like an emotional affair now i think than a physical affair Mm -hmm. because physical affairs like somebody's always watching right but you can have an emotional affair and you can have you can have a fixation on another person who doesn't even know you exist in a way that didn't Mm -hmm. used Mm -hmm. to be uh and so i feel like anyway all that to say what's happened here is that isolation has has left these parents Mm completely isolated from their children and each other and are, they're now like no, trying to scramble late. yeah and it's it's too late like too the late. therapist as said somebody yeah. i mean as somebody who's older than everybody else in this room <laughs> i can tell you like watching like the rise of facebook the rise of twitter watching people like lean themselves into their phones or their computers or their laptops or their tablets or whatever to reach out to make these connections that are so important to them on this social media and they shut themselves off from the people around them. I mean, I feel like that's ultimately the, maybe it's the fear that, that, um, I continue to come back to again. It's like the Marxist in the room, right? <laughs> like um, the fear of, of alienation, me. right? The fear of, of no longer uh, like being able to see yourself reflected in uh, the the fruits of your labor, mm-hmm. right? The, the alienation that we continue to feel um, is is most terrifying because if if how we construct our identities, how we recognize ourselves in the world in the moment is through the 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 labor that that we kind of put in Mm -hmm. when we replace that with something like a media or a technology presence when we divorce ourselves from the ability to see each other reflected in the way that we interact right what then is the identity that we make for ourselves right and is it is where does the value lie so like we i had this conversation with my husband recently about social media and how like 
You now go and stay in Airbnbs that are aesthetically pleasing, not because you find them aesthetically pleasing, but because you're going to take a photo in this aesthetically right. pleasing place and have it as a backdrop for this brand that you are cultivating. Yeah. And so like where does it does become valuable? It's more yeah. valuable than just the experience. The mm. the aesthetic has become so valuable that it's like that's that is the tender like we are using. Mm. Um for fuel online like that's our yeah yeah well and then i think there's also just a a, a maybe a divorce from like the actual real people that we are and the, the people that we portray ourselves to be in these other spaces i think there's a bit of horror discourse that's that's kind of going on right now again just a, a moment of of preoccupation where we're talking about like are artists their stuff Sure. Like, like, is their stuff really a reflection of the, the inner person? And I think there's a lot of worry about, you know, who we portray ourselves to be online. It's not necessarily who we really are. Sure. We ran into this a little bit when we were talking to Amakatsu last week where, mm -hmm. you know, we like we know of her through her work, through her books, through, you know, the the. the huge success that she's had yeah. in the, the last decade with her publishing career and yet she does not perceive herself that way she doesn't perceive herself to be she was know, really surprised to see that we saw award-winning like author right. you know and, and i think that because she's um, a person on the inside she is yeah. exactly she's hanging out mm -hmm. in her kitchen and yeah. i think that sometimes it's easy for us to forget the people on the other side of that avatar i know mm -hmm. eric laraca is talking about that a lot on twitter too another horror writer where he's he's really preoccupied right now i think about you know like there's a person on the other side of this right and, and the way that we interact with each other online oftentimes can become so transactional because i, I feel like we've we've been taught to see each other as these online commodities yeah. you know the like yeah. oh very much right even even like your like or your comment is understood both by the person leaving it and the person receiving it to be a show of display like it's a it's a display of value yeah. it is i am yeah. offering you this comment so that it will boost you in this algorithm and i know that i'm doing that yeah. like i'm i'm playing the algorithm for you as a transactional way of showing support or whatever mm, it's an actual transaction it's an actual yeah. transaction yeah. like even just yeah. engagement is a transaction to now. the benefit Which of is mark so zuckerberg it's so difficult mm -hmm. to to then you know find the people i think behind man again behind the screen yeah. you know to be like i love Almakatsu's work yeah. and and i i feel like the more i learn a about her as a person the more I'm like man I just I, I wish I could sit in that room and talk to her for forever and that's I know awesome. that that's not necessarily possible but I, she might know. have other things to do but you never know you <laughs> should ask <laughs> yeah, I mean it doesn't hurt to ask I mean we did and she showed up that it's, was yeah. what was amazing about it but I, I think that you know I, I don't know I just I continue to to worry about when people listen to this show you know they listen to a version of myself that mm -hmm. I try to be as authentic as I can on the show but you know are they seeing the authentic me are they seeing a performance of me what's the perception there you right. know when they interact with me on Twitter as as at Slayhouse lipids, right? <laughs> like, are they interacting with 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 me because they believe me to be, you know, the publishing house, or they believe me to be the podcast, or right. are they interacting with me because they believe me to be me in right. that moment? Yeah, and it's also really hard to 
I don't know, have a Twitter presence where I'm trying to be authentic about like the things that like really genuinely hurt me or excite me yeah. or whatever. Uh, is that not, uh, you know, I don't know an endorsement anybody, from the house? I don't right. know. It gets, I don't know if anybody really can be, messy. And I, I don't know if anybody can be authentic. Cause I mean, the word person is, is Latin for mask. Right. So to be a person is to be a mask, a series of them. Right. Really. And so, <clears throat> so like I got rid of Facebook seven years ago mm -hmm. and and it just, it was a culmination of like, even when I'm talking one-on-one -on -one with somebody, who I am is getting lost in translation to a degree. Right. There's not a shadow of hope that it's that's going to come off through Facebook. Just <laughs> no hope at all. I was somebody on Facebook that I absolutely hated. I did not like this person that I was on Facebook or any, or any kind of social media. Sure. And so, you know, to, to some degree, you're always playing a role. And so, you know, when I'm doing the podcast or uh, the live stream, I'm, I'm doing a lot of talking. And then later I listen back and I'm like, do I talk too much? Did I say the right stuff? Mm -hmm. Did it sound weird when I said that? And I'm kind of the point where like none of that matters because it's all it's all performative anyway. Like even if I'm talking straight to my mom in the kitchen, right? and we're the only ones there. It's still a fragmented part of who I actually am. So I, I kind of gave up on the chase it's based for on authenticity. Your... And if you just kind of relax into it and not worry about authenticity, that's as authentic as you can be. And so that's kind of where I am now. Yeah, um, I think in that two point, that depends on how your mom also views you, right? Because she... Right, which I have no idea say, how she views me. Right, so, yeah. so like everything you say is time-loaded back to the moment where she taught you how to use a spoon, right? And there's exactly. no, and she can't divorce that from you. Like, yes. and I, again, now as somebody with small children and living in that weird space where you're like straddling the future and the past, where you're like both the child and you're remembering this from your own childhood, but now you're seeing it through the lens of your parent and it's a, it's a trip. These layers get <laughs> there's, so they do. convoluted. They yeah. do. Uh, yeah. It's, it's back to time, just kind of immemorial being a, a view that you're seeing from that slaughterhouse five. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Mountainscape. Yeah. But anyway, um, you know, I, lost, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> so circling back to the veld, I mean, do we feel like like the veld, uh, this this like horror landscape, is this the the ultimate performance? Like, is this the, the performative art of this psyche of these children? Uh, does that terrify us? Yeah. <laughs> yes. And I think, I think it's a lack of, so without the like fully developed frontal cortex right they don't have the consequence aspect of it so there's not yeah, really the like an understanding of what happens next um mm. but I that's think, why children are so useful so, in horror right oh so they're wonderful and, and i feel like i've made it out to sound like i like my child is my children are probably the like the most delightful people that i know because they're so authentic right um <laughs> they're they're only just now learning the performative nature of existence right and and yeah. starting to do little poses ego, for cameras yeah, and stuff that you're things. like Little Mimi's. Oh, uh huh. Mimi, uh huh. Yeah. You're like, oh snap! There yeah. you are. There um, you are. <laughs> there you are. Uh, cool but, it. But yeah, I think I think so. The other thing too, I think that the velt and the Reel house, the the velt illustrates that we live under now is the idea that something else is watching. So like the house right. is alive, is alive. And when he goes to it turn it influence. off, it has feelings about yeah. that, um, yeah. or at least I, I, I read it that way. That the uh, lions have are an are an extension of the house. Right. Yeah. Well, right. I, I, so that's really fascinating because if if we again if we look allegorically, like if the house itself is representative of of maybe the the cultural Culture. forces that, and, and by cultural forces, I I I really mean like the capitalist forces, which 
you know, inform the construction of our culture. Right. Right. Like, mm-hmm. like the, the investment of capital to, to continue to see itself persist. Mm-hmm. Right. Is that not just like another word for hegemony? Right. Like, like. Is that how that's pronounced? Yeah. I, I feel like I've only ever read it and I have been reading it wrong in my brain this yeah, whole time. I have no idea. Oh my gosh, we, talk, we do this <laughs> all the time. <laughs> we come across a word and, and it's like, this is the first time we've ever I've ever it. heard it out loud. I, mean, I, 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 I did a lot of talking about hegemony. I'm kind of uncomfortable how you're both looking at me right now. (laughs) (laughs) We need to do, uh, we need to do the Pee Wee's Playhouse thing with the, the word of the day. Yeah. That's the first time anybody's ever ever cheered for that word. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, but I, I think like, uh, you know, again, coming back to this, this notion of like the house wants to, persist yes right yeah the structure wants to persist at the at the expense of the people it's supposed to serve right right? uh and like not to sound like you know the unabomber here right but they built the system (laughs) and now the system controls them like that's a little bit of a frankenstein's monster thing too yeah yeah Yeah. mr marxist over here is like uh, like revolution (laughs) is coming yes yes well okay so you asked uh, sorry this was in a different episode uh you asked about um the uh, like relationship, like the purpose that that fiction and horror right. and genre serves, and I think that's exactly the purpose that it serves is to show you a future that you may not realize is coming for you, or at least plant it in your head, so that I, hmm. having read this when I was fourteen, watch my daughter on her iPad, and I'm like fucking velt right like that's yeah. in my but it is it is in it is like woven into my personality kind of, yeah, yeah. that like i i am like we must we must course correct like yeah. or i will be eaten by I lions mean, like but that's a real thing yeah it to, puts that fear there to borrow a, a term from darko suvin i think it, i think it's cognitive mapping there right you go. that's yeah. the term there it, you go. the idea of of trying to understand who we are and how we exist in this much broader cultural framework right and how is the framework shaping who we are can we ultimately reframe that that framework can we can can we revolutionize it can we you know kind of approach it can we can we change it does seeing this story played out across a a man's skin in Mm -hmm. the illustrated man does this help us anticipate that future and perhaps take action to ensure that these nightmares never come to pass. I don't I don't know. Who knows? I mean, I worry. But we'll I find think, out. But I think it we? has to it has <laughs> to, I think it has to and if it's going to it's only going to happen this way. So, you talk about like revolution, right? And I, I think I'm going to totally butcher this, so I'm so sorry. I think it's Tony Morrison who said something along the lines of like you have to basically be bold enough to stand at the very edge and declare it center and wait for everyone to catch up to you. And you have to like firmly say, no, this is center. And you have to believe it so wholeheartedly that other people are like, oh shit, that's the center. And then they kind of like walk over to join you. Mm. Um, But that it's like this kind of lonely, isolating space. But I think that works like this do that. They move that needle so that the rest of us catch up Right, and then it shifts our scope on like how we look at things. And I think we're in a moment of that now. Like that's, the whole world is shifting so quickly. I agree. Because there's yep. this same hunger that you're experiencing. Yeah. That There's a lot of fear, but there's a lot of hunger that says, like, something has to change because the path that we are on 
is one right. that we're not happy with. That's why we have so many dystopias. Right. People are like, what, like... Yeah, I, we didn't we didn't uh, talk about this necessarily in in your episode, but I think like this is a conversation kind of adjacent to a conversation maybe started in your episode. You know, like the issue of dystopia. You know, mm-hmm. and, and and because this is very dystopic, mm-hmm. yeah, right? Yes. Um, you know, again, what what does dystopia kind of serve to us? especially to those of us who feel like we're already living in a dystopia. <laughs> right, right. right. It's right. like, man, one thing at a time, please. Yeah. <laughs> Quit no. piling darkness onto me. It's everything all yeah. the time. <laughs> That's fine. It's fine. There is no relief. No, yeah, yeah. the future's a dark and dreary place. Yeah. I, 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 I'm just kidding. Maybe that's one, one of the reasons why I continue to look at fiction and, and look at um, speculative fiction especially like to find the utopia mm-hmm. like where is the utopian value in in the literature that that we encounter right even in dystopian you know narratives or, or something like this like what is the utopian hope is there a utopian hope that we can glean from this yeah and um you know, is there something in this fiction that maybe empowers us to make decisions conscientiously as human beings to create a more hospitable future? Right. Yeah. Right. Well said. Of course, my mind just goes to, we've had this very in-depth discussion about this story and the real life illustrated man sitting there going, you know, it'd be cool. Lions. (laughs) Lions. <laughs> Lions, bro. That'd be cool right here. <laughs> so we end on a joke. <laughs> we have to end on a joke, folks. It's, you know, that was the end. That's the end. That's when I'm, when that's I'm creating, wah, wah. when I'm creating the podcast, it, it gave me options. It didn't tell me, you know, you can, you can write, do a book, you know, review kind of sure. podcast. The options it gave me of the options it gave me, the most applicable one that I could find was comedy. So, uh, yeah. so see, but then now you're, you've come back to like the whole, is it the, the context shapes the content that you're creating? Like yeah. you, like you were writing to this, this genre, whether you mean to or not, like <laughs> you end up constrained uh, yeah. about, it's the lights, it's the lights I, I, I from like the, the Unabomber. Lights. It's like the, the stuff <laughs> lights. <laughs> you built the light and now it controls you. Yeah, I like Sorry. the idea that the episode is, is structured like a, like a Greek comedy. Yes. Which is just, just to <laughs> say, like, there's a happy ending. There's a, yes. Right. Yeah, that's, uh, and that's the, the, the happy ending. Perhaps if there is a happy ending to this episode, it's that we're all in a room together and we can appreciate. Nobody got eaten by a lion. Nobody got eaten by a lion. Okay, but to be Yet. fair, she does offer him tea at the end, so like that's kind of a nice note. Like Wendy's like hospitable. Would you like some tea? And Aww. then the illustrated man's like, I'm gonna roll over. <laughs> and we move on to the next story, yeah. which is people floating through space aimlessly toward death. So you know. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all aren't gonna invite me back. Y'all gonna be like, she's dreary. I'm not even like trying to be like actually really. I'm like super nice in real life. I promise. (laughs) No, we are totally gonna invite you back. We really, really had fun with this today. Well, I've pressured you on the air. Now you have to. Well, I mean, we were gonna invite you back anyway. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. Manifest the future you want. Yeah, my brain is already like this is this is the most philosophical I think we've gotten. I'm so sorry. And and I'm here. No, I like that's what I signed up for. Like I'm always the one who's like like philosophy philosophy and jeremy's like remember that pop culture reference i'm like god 
Damn it. <laughs> We've got a balance, man. See, we have a balance. I was going to yeah. say, me and him get the pop culture references. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, there is kind of a balance there. Uh, <laughs> We've had stuff. a great time today. Thank you, Kaylee, so much for joining us. Or Kay. Thank you for having me. <laughs> and, uh, In both variations of myself. <laughs> They're the same. Kay's just a nickname, so you guys can call all know me by that, too. Kay. Awesome. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. Thank you so much. We've really enjoyed the talk today. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. Thank you.